Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. I am thrilled to have with me as my guest today, Ken Nolan. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Ken. Well, first, we'll start with the latest great news that came through uh, Deadline Hollywood. Let me read the press release. Ken just sold a pilot to ABC. ABC has put in development Black Friday, a drama written by feature scribe Ken Nolan of Black Hawk Down and executive produced by another feature writer, Sheldon Turner of Up in the Air, through Vendetta Productions, his production company with Jennifer Klein, uh, and ABC, ABC Studios, where Vendetta is based, will produce. Black Friday is an action thriller that follows a guy who unexpectedly finds himself in the center of a perilous event where he is responsible for the safety of others. The show follows him as he works to uncover the conspiracy responsible for the event while also following the personal lives of those surrounding him. Nolan, Sheldon, and Klein executive produce. This marks Vendetta's second sale this season, along with Family Soap Skin Deep at ABC, which is being written by Turner. Nolan's writing credits include the 2007 TNT Limited series The Company and the upcoming feature Thunder Run, directed by Simon West. He recently sold Rocket's Red Glare to Sony. Turner is making his feature directorial debut with By Virtue Fall, a gritty drama starring Eric Bana and Army Hammer. He has a couple of feature scripts in the works, including Everest at Sony and an animal poaching movie at Warner Brothers. All right, so then I asked Ken to give me his bio, and he gave me a description of some of his work. And some of this, I'm sure, will double what we all talked about, what I already covered. But I did want to get into it because I was so impressed by it. So you went to University of Oregon? Yes, I'm a duck, uh, number two football team in the nation. I love it. I love it. And you studied English. Yeah, I wanted to go to journalism school, but I was telling you before they had this grammar test that was so hard that I had to stay in English, uh, become an English major. I well, please. That's a a great set. And an English major is great for writing. Yes. Okay, so you sold your first spec in 1994 sold uh, spec feature scripts in 1995 and 98 to Imagine and Universal Pictures. You got a deal at Universal for a few years in 1997. Then you were hired to adapt Black Hawk Down in 1999, worked until completing the movie in 2001, sold a spec adaptation to Warner Brothers in 2003, Sold a spec book adaptation to Columbia Picks in 2005. Meanwhile, you had various writing assignment jobs. You've adopt, adapted 10 books, 
working with directors, including, I can't wait to dive into the idea of adaptation in the screenplay, uh, you have worked with directors, including Wolfgang Peterson, Ridley Scott, John Frankenheimer, Simon West, Philip Noyce, mostly just developing something that didn't get made except with Ridley. I love that. The only credits I have are The Company, a miniseries for TNT, and Black Hawk Down. See, that's a fascinating thing, too, because you have worked on so much. Yeah, I've had a really long career with very few things getting made. And right. <clears throat> I guess that's just a life, the life of some screenwriters, you know. And um, what is that life like? Like, like do you feel like... You just recognize that is part of the creative process and you accept that. And so when you start a project, mm -hmm. you still put your all into it, but you recognize it may never see the light of day. I definitely put everything into every project and get emotionally attached and think this one's going to get made right? like Charlie Brown. And then <laughs> it doesn't. And I go through various levels of depression, severe or white yeah. depression. But you know, after all these years of doing this, I have started to realize this is my job. I can't complain about it. I'm being paid well. I'm right. doing what I want to do in life. So stop bitching about it, basically. But for a long time, I was I got super down, you know, super depressed about it. I mean, and not like though, in a hospital. But no, uh, no. But I <laughs> no, it's very honest. Yeah. I, I like to hear it. <clears throat> the the good the bad and the ugly of the writer's life yeah. because i i think where people get screwed up is they look at the credits and they think oh well this person has the perfect life because yeah. he has sold this 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 and that now i, ha I do have to say black hawk down i mean <laughs> was brilliant i mean mind-blowing there were lines in that movie and character moments that were just incredible Incredible. So yeah. starting yeah, with that, I because I mean, and so that was your first one that did get seen. Yes. So I met, and you sold three before that? Right, three spec scripts before that. Wow. And I did a few assignments in there, and then got this as sort of an assignment, Black Hawk Down. Right. In 99, and then did, you know, the short stories, I did 13 drafts, got replaced by Academy Award winning writers. Right. A couple of them. Then they caught the uh, Jerry Bruckheimer's office called up and said, "Can you go to Morocco and rewrite the script and no bring way. your passport and your computer and your laptop?" And I said, "I don't have a passport or a laptop." And they said, "Well, get one. <laughs> you know, you're leaving like six days. You know." And I said, "Oh my God!" Um, so then I went to Morocco and rewrote the script for four months under Ridley's uh, watchful, helpful eye, and learned more in those four months than. Probably the previous, wow. you know, seven years. Oh, my God. Seven years? Seven years. So for four <clears throat> months, it was just writing? It was writing. It was, it was, we got there and we had a script that had been rewritten by Steve Zalian. Right. And a lot of Zalian stuff made it into the movie. Right. But there was some consensus that we couldn't quite film that version. Right. And that we had to, I'm trying to say this politically correctly because I really admire Steve Zalian. Um uh, so I, I do had too, to, yeah, but it, it doesn't mean talented, yeah. every writer is perfect for every project. And right. The <clears> irony <throat> is that you're re re rewriting someone who rewrote you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That was weird. Yeah. Uh, because I went through a depression there. I'm like, oh, right. they had to call on the big screen, you know, Academy Award winning screenwriter. And 
I was young and I didn't really get it. My feelings were hurt and I had been working so hard and I thought I'm going to get this one made and I'm going to work for Ridley and it'll be the experience of a lifetime. Then for several months that dream was shattered and then it was, it was suddenly back, you know, and and I went to work with him. So how amazing. It was an amazing experience. I Um, mean, I'd be curious to know like why they felt they had to hire the big wigs and then why they went back on that decision. I get it now. I didn't get it at the time. If Mm -hmm. I'm a producer, I mean, I've seen this from sort of a producing standpoint where I've been sort of overseeing some projects and I say, oh, I get it. Like writers can only go as far as that writer can go and sometimes you need something different and they can't quite give it to you no matter how much you prod and push and plead. And they, it's a business decision. They have to get someone else in. And you probably shouldn't take it too personally for too long. You know, right. be, have well, your feelings hurt advice. for a few days no, and, then, that's good advice. and then move on. Like, it's got, it happens to Steve Zalian. He gets replaced. Well, he does. I mean, I, the latest, what was the Brad Pitt <clears throat> baseball movie? Oh, yeah, Moneyball. Moneyball. Got, I mean, there were three yeah. of them on that. Yeah. Or he got Sorkin, replaced. Or, him. That's right. Sorkin came and in. And there was one other, the original. Right. The writers Which, that. Why can't uh, I remember? Yeah, the I name. can't either. I Oops. know. I feel bad. They, yeah. but, but, but it's fascinating. And I would, you know, I mean, from a former studio <laughs> executive viewpoint, I mean, when mm-hmm. you look at all these writers in the mix, sometimes it works, but a mm-hmm. lot of times it doesn't. Yeah. Like you feel. Usually it doesn't. The choppiness. Mm hmm. You know, so, I mean, a movie like Tootsie yeah. is an example where yeah. they had I don't know how many writers and it worked. You yeah, know? Goodwill or, Hunting supposedly Goodwill had hunting. Yeah. ten different hands. In oh, it, really? You know, and and that was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, even yeah. Black Hawk Down. Eric Roth wrote this big speech at the end. You know, for Eric Bana's character. Did he character. really? And he faxed the pages, and Jerry's. You know, he said to Jerry, like, I'm not even going to charge you anything. It just, you know, I just wrote a couple pages. I love Eric. Yeah, and then yeah, I Eric's I read the pages. Great. I'm like, this is really good. We. I guess oh they better use this, gosh. you know. So Eric and Aaron Spelling were very good friends. So oh, really? I knew Eric, yeah. Wow. So Isn't that interesting? Yeah. You wouldn't guess, but no, yeah, they were very they good out. friends. Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> he did some he did uh he did one or two series for spelling. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. So yeah. he, he earned his chops it or was whatever way you say. before he became <clears throat> massive. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it was way before. He was big then. But then he became massive. Right. Uh, yeah. After all that, the, the small TV. Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. Suddenly, you know? was Academy Award yes. winning. Eric exactly. Roth. Exactly. Yeah, very important. Exactly. <laughs> but, the changes that happen. Yeah. It's like suddenly, if you, it, it is a fascinating thing when you look at words like cause this massive transformation and mm-hmm. just picking the right project, which, you know, we'll start with your adaptation of Black Hawk Down, and I, and then I want to go through each of your scripts and kind of get a sense of the concepts and mm-hmm. what your creative process was with it. So with adapting right. a book, and you've done this over and over and over again, this mm-hmm. clearly has become kind of like your brand. Yeah, it's kind of my thing. Yeah, my tell me about niche, it. niche, niche. Yeah. I don't know, niche. I mean, um, it, it's like you're an entrepreneur because through adapting so many books, mm-hmm. you get known for that. Yeah. And, and what was that like at the beginning? Like when you did Black Hawk Down, I have to imagine there was so much pressure. Yeah, there was, you know, there was a lot of pressure. Yes, you're right. There was tons of pressure. And 
I just um, treated it like a giant homework assignment or term paper assignment from, you know, being an English major, which really taught me to think critically, to read a book, think critically, find the narrative spine. And I just used the, what I learned at University of Oregon, I guess, as an English major. I used some of that to take the story out of the book and find that thing that drove that particular story forward. So Black Hawk Down had a bunch of disparate uh, interweaving storylines. You know, there was the Humvee storyline. There was the crashed helicopter storyline. There was another Humvee squad storyline. There were guys who were lost in the city. And we said, okay, what is this through line? And it's pretty clear from Mark's book. It wasn't that hard to figure out. But, you know, it's a story of these guys surviving overnight in a hostile city and trying to live. So, you know, man versus man. Right. To put it in English major words so really it's it's just a matter of of hard work underlining the parts you want to put in the movie right trying it out you know seeing what works and then whittling away and whittling away it's not really that complicated right i mean i work with writers all the time on Mm -hmm. doing just what you do on going either from novel to screenplay or screenplay to novel Mm -hmm. or novel to pilot Right. And, and it is a fascinating thing because I'm always fascinated by what is the creative process. Like, do mm-hmm. you do you develop the character first? Do you jump? For me, I, I almost recommend that you start with the structure. That's what and, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Structure yeah. is everything, according to William Goldman. Yes. So I read that book when I was first starting, and I really yeah. listened. And that's where my head goes first is what's the structure? What's the story? Right. Really, what's the story? Then does it lay out in sort of act break kind a three act structure and right it, and finding that kind of structure Blackhawk was hard to find because the main character we wanted to use in reality went home in the day and didn't stay overnight Eversman didn't stay overnight right so we said okay it's we're not lying that guy stayed overnight can we just fictionalize this part and make this main character continue on overnight so that was one of the the leaps we made in yeah. developing it. <clears throat> and I was resistant at first because I thought I knew everything at 32, age 32 or 33. Right. Oh, no, let's not have any main characters, I said. It was crazy. Like, this is an ensemble movie <laughs> and it starts with a battle and it just ends with a battle and that's it for, you know, 120 minutes. And right. Jerry Bruckheimer patiently said, that's great. Now, now I want you to listen to me and do what I say. So. Right, right. <laughs> So it was just, you know, it was 13 drafts of, it was, I did three single, um, single spaced 50 page outlines before we went to the first draft. And Jerry Brockheimer and his executives worked with me on each draft and said, this isn't working. Try this again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And then Jerry finally said, you know what, we're ready to try to write a script. And then it was 13 more drafts. You know, oh, my un- God. Until Ridley came on. 12 drafts, then Ridley came on, and I did a draft for him. And they said, thanks a lot. Thank you, Ken. We'll see you later, and we'll get Steve Gagan to do it, you know. Right. Um, and then they got Zalian. So it was a great learning experience. But yeah. I could look back now and say, you know what, I didn't have the experience that Gagan and Zalian had, I would get rid of me too. Right. 
So. Right, but gosh, thank God though that they brought you back. I think that was a very wise. Yes, thank business. God. Thank uh, <laughs> God, that was a very wise. It well, was thank God for time me. Yeah. To see something produced. Yeah, that I mean, was, I was yeah. so emotionally attached to that book, yeah. and and uh, Mark Bowden, the author, said, "Ken, I think you know the book better than I do at this point." Because I asked him a question, That's a like, big compliment. "Yeah, I'm like, what happened in the Humvee squad?" He said, "I don't know. What you probably know it. You know, right? Take a look at your notes." I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're right. I I do know it." Ah. Yeah. Mark's that. become sort of a, a mentor to me. He's That's great. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Um, and you like your very first spec that you mm-hmm. sold in 1994. What led to that? Well, I was an assistant for years, for about three years at um, production companies. Right. And, you know, I would read the variety in Hollywood Reporter and I'd see all these people selling spec scripts because it was like spec script heyday. Right. And I thought, I. I could do that. That's what I want to do, you know. So in 1991, I bought Sid Field's screenwriting. Right. Screenwriter's workbook. It's right. different than screenwriting. Right. And I did everything he said to do in the book, even if it annoyed me. And right. it totally taught me how to write a screenplay. So, oh, I love that. And then Big I, shout yeah, out to Sid Field. There you go. Yeah, uh, and then I read great. like 100 screenplays. Right. One of the first great ones I read was The Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Someone said, you should read this. Love. So I stole all Frank Darabont's tricks. It was really like I read a bunch of scripts. Oh, here's Steve Zalian's tricks. I'm going to use these, you know. All these famous writers. I would just read and study and take things. Right, right. So I had been writing scripts for like three years, and I got close to selling one, and it didn't sell, and I was sort of crestfallen. And then I went and wrote another spec script that was Die Hard back in the building this time because mm-hmm. everyone had taken it to like, like the hockey rink and the, right. the tennis court and you know right. the subway system <laughs> i'm like let's put it back in the building right. and somehow sold that script so got an agent sold the script and then i thought i've i'm i've got it made and then the second one was even harder to sell so that's right. a, that's a whole other story but uh wow i could continue if you want um oh my gosh <laughs> but see I think I think the great thing about this for people to know is the recognition that you could have a huge sale, mm-hmm. but really to create longevity, you have to have the entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. And you... what would you say, at what point did you realize that? Like, at what point did you recognize that, like, is there a strategy behind the adaptation? Did you recognize that in the climate... It was better to buy the rights to a book and then make the sale. Like, what what went into your thinking with, with um, that route? I remember I read a lot of in- interviews with other writers mm-hmm. that I admire, and David Kep gave an interview, and he said, he said, you're going to do, if you're a professional screenwriter, you're going to do a lot of adaptations and work for hire that isn't original. And I said, well, that's not going to be me. I'm selling all these specs. And he was right, you know, because people dangle these alluring, glittery books in your face or projects or magazine articles. Want to do this? Want to do that? And it's just too tempting. And you don't really have time to sit down and go, okay, what's my original screenplay idea? So for a long time, I didn't write original scripts. I was just allured with tempting books. and. right. You know, in books sometimes that I found myself that right. were sitting on my shelf, you know. Wow. And what was the process <clears throat> of getting rights like? Like, how much does it cost to mm-hmm. buy the rights for a typical book? Gosh, 
not as much as you'd think. Right. Especially That's now. That's what I, I think you're not right. Not much at all. Really? Yeah. Um, like under 10000 Uh Yes, you could wow. do it for under 10000 with the promise of more money to come when the movie gets made. Oh, okay. So, you know, some, you know, like Stephen King gives his people his stuff for a dollar now That's you know right, I heard that. yeah so i, I think that. i think authors and then does he get a back end yeah i'm sure get a massive you know, back end. his agents <laughs> are gets, yeah. ca agents so they control the world as you know right <laughs> yes <No>. they do <laughs> so, you must have a great deal um right uh, but um what was i ta- what was the question again? well oh i was uh, talking about the the buying the rights oh right buying the rights uh, yeah. um i never really bought rights myself it would okay. be a producer coming up to me and saying do you want to do this sometimes i would i, I had know. read a book and right. i said i read this one science fiction book called the forge of god which i later sold the adaptation to warner brothers in 2003 uh-huh. it was just sitting there i had all these sci-fi books and one day I just stacked all my books up and went through and read the back flaps. And, and I had bought these books for years and never read them. And I said, ooh, Forge of God, this sounds good. I read that, and it was like one of these electrifying reading experiences where I thought, oh, my God, this is how I felt when I read Blackhawk. I read it in a day and a half or something. Wrote an email to my agent. Maybe it was before email, 2003. No, right. email. Right. And I said, who has the rights to this? And he said, oh, my God, the guy with the rights just wrote me an email. Would Ken be interested in it, in adapting Forge of God? And I'm like, ooh, it's kismet. It's meant to be, and I'll go do this. That's fantastic. So I've never really bought rights myself. Right. But one – actually, I have bought rights myself. I forgot, and it didn't work out, and right. I feel like I'm never going to do that again. Right. You know, it's good to believe in yourself. Just right. get other people to spend their money. I you know? like it. Don't, I like it. Don't That's do it. Good. It takes too long, and you'll get a 12-month or 18-month option, and then it'll be gone before you know it. And right. you'll be paying more money or lose the option, you know. So that would mean that if the option came up and you were still writing and mm-hmm. there was a possibility of a sale, they could totally up they could the- they there's usually something in the contract saying we have the right to continue mm-hmm. this option for x amount of dollars right um if there is progress right if there's no progress you might be screwed wow i shouldn't say don't spend your own money if you believe in something go ahead and spend your money i don't want to put well you know, and i like the idea so <clears throat> say for example and then i know we'll take a break in a moment say for example um you do you are crazy about a book. Say in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, you've worked with like every top person in the business at this point. But in the beginning, when when you start, you started to see. Although I say in the beginning, and you made a pretty big specs sale mm-hmm. in, <laughs> at the very beginning of your career. Right. So That's suddenly good. your name meant something. So I, I mean, guess. but did you know that? Okay, if I find a book mm-hmm. that I like. Then I just bring it to who? Like, how did you connect who would be the right producer for certain books? Right. I think that's the agent's job. Okay. You know? Good. Like, um, the rights are available. Let's right. get you together with a strong producer who can take it into the studio okay, and say, good. I've got this young writer. He doesn't cost much. He really loves this book. Listen to him talk for a half hour. What do you think? Will you pay for the rights? And I'll produce it and watch over this guy. Great. So that's a now, that's a strategy. Now, who was your agent at the beginning? Is you, uh, are you of the same? Or? No, I changed. Uh, my agent was this guy Justin Dardis at APA, who was like spec sale king right. in the late '90s, and right. then he retired from the business, and then he died. Oh. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah. And then um, I he found me my next agent. We had lunch, and he's like, "I have to find you an agent. I'm leaving the business." 
And it was like an, a girlfriend saying, we got to find you a new girlfriend. Right, so right. He sort of found me this uh, agent, Todd Feldman, who used to be at William Morris ICM, yeah. now is at CA. Great. And I said, oh, I know Todd. We were playing poker together when you, when everyone played poker and smoked cigars. It was right, cool. right. <clears throat> so that was it. It was pretty seamless. I and met then with, you've Todd been with Todd ever since. Ever since, yeah. Oh, that's great. And now I have a team nice. at CAA because <laughs> they don't do anything by themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I know. Like the team well, is you calling. Have a power house yeah. behind like, you. Do I need a team? Yeah. They're all great, though. Oh, they are uh, great. Yeah. Um, all right. So with that, we are going to take our first break, and then we are going to come back, and we are going to talk about the company and what it was like working on a miniseries and what it's going to be like working in TV for the first time. And then uh, I do want to go into some personal anecdotes. Oh, great. Yes. Uh, great. That, did I blather for 25 minutes? Oh, my God. <laughs> this is Jen Grisanti, and I am here with Ken Nolan of Black Hawk Down and the new ABC pilot, Black Friday. We will take a break and be back in a moment. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Ken Nolan. So we've covered adaptation, and I love what you had to say about it. Now, during the break, we were talking about the fact that You've kind of done the reversal as well. So you, you've you turned a screenplay into a novel. Is this mm-hmm. a recent thing? Yeah, very recent. I've always wanted that. to I, yeah. I wanted to write novels to begin with. Right. I, I do this crazy thing where I don't feel like a, quote, real writer because right. I have never written a novel. Right. So about three or four years ago, I really started to think seriously about it. And I started writing short stories again, which is how I started in high school, writing short stories in college. Right. And it was a totally different set of muscles, right. writing muscles. And I thought, I can't do this. This is so hard. I have been so confined by screenwriting rules that it was just too vast and too wide open and anything could happen. And the characters could say anything that I got. I really was frozen. Right. So I that's when I was trying to just write a novel from scratch. Right. And then I said, oh, why don't I turn the script that didn't sell into a book and just take just try it, you know, yeah. as an experiment. So I did that last year. I would just, like, I had I, I cheated a little. I had yeah. David Goyer's ex-assistant. I sent her the script, and I said, will you turn this into third person and put, you know, dialogue quotes and just turn it into book form? Right. And she sent it back to me, and I paid her some money. Right. And um, I'm like, is this cheating? And then I saw how much work there was left to do, but it was much less scary. I could right. go in and edit. That was and good. Add. I yeah. love you did it that way. So it was way. like, yeah, it was like a Henry Ford uh, a car production line. Like, right. Like I got this half assembled thing and then screwed this thing on and painted it. And and then. Very smart. It took a long yeah. time. But I, I, I finally started writing down goals every day, like work on a chapter a day. So right. I would do it and sometimes not and sometimes. And then it was done. I mean, the thing I love about the reversal process that must be incredible to like go through from a creative standpoint is it's like when you're going from 
being able to take all these words and thoughts and imagination from a book and put it into a screenplay, Mm -hmm. it's easier to go, like, what is the starting dilemma? What is the goal? What is this? Mm -hmm. What is that? And kind of just, like, take it out of this big mass. But to go from the narrow framework into (laughs) the much broader picture. Yeah. I think as soon as you move past the fear, that's got to be incredible. Yeah, it really was, you know, you know like Stephen Pressfield, who yeah. I listen to on your podcast. Like, it was just fear getting in my way. Like, you know. Stephen Pressfield's amazing. Yeah, I, have, I had that book, too, yeah. The War of Art. Yes. And that really sort of slapped me around, you know, like. It was basically like, stop complaining, get off your ass, stop making excuses. I'm like, oh God, he's talking to me. He's <laughs> like, this book is is specifically written for me. You right, know? right. For Ken, it yes. says in page Isn't one. Isn't that the uh, truth? I felt that when yeah. I read it too. <laughs> there were certain yeah. things that you're like, oh God, he knows. Yeah, that's me. I'm a dilettante. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just a matter of like letting myself let the scenes breathe a little more. Right. And I still feel like, I'm not very good at it. You know, it's a whole new thing. and But it's like a muscle that you <clears throat> develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a skill. Yeah. Like, I'll have to do it again and again. It is. I mean, like when I wrote Storyline, it was in me for 17 years and it mm. was everything I knew as far as teaching stories. So it took three and a half months for me to write it. Oh, and that's it came great. Out. Whereas my latest book is Change Your Story, Change Your Life. And it's my first business life spiritual book. So I had to go much deeper. Mm. So I had to learn to develop muscles like I was an analyst for 20 years. That's a whole different muscle Mm -hmm. than being on the other side of that. So it's kind of like you have to embrace the learning process and jump in, Mm -hmm. you know, and really, you know, I think for me, uh, the, the thing that I love is that, I am much more compassionate with my writers because I know what it is to be on the side of receiving notes and having to kill your baby and yeah. cutting 10,000 words mm-hmm. and <laughs> this and that. And and so it, it has been a really tremendous experience. But I the thing I love about the creative process is in the different platforms are the different approaches to how you write. There's so much to learn, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it's great. That's why I... I mean, it's gonna. I'm gonna sound like a jerk, but I, I have this feeling like I, I'll never stop learning. Yeah. And the moment I think I've really got it yes. is when someone should shoot me. Right. Or slap me. Maybe someone should slap me now. But um, I think the moments that we we get to that point, like the universe, like does does some type of trick mm-hmm. where we do get slapped upside the head in right. some way and going, don't think too highly of yourself just yeah. yet. <laughs> that happened to me the last three years. I didn't yeah. work for three years. Yeah. Couldn't get a job, you know. And what uh, was that like? It was humbling and it yeah. really was good for me. It, right. I, I am completely different. I am happy to be working. Right. I am appreciative of what I have instead of feeling like, the town owes me something because I sold five scripts and I'm an important writer. Right. None of that matters. No one gives a crap right. about your stupid scripts that you sold. You right. Know? This town doesn't owe you anything, neither do your agents. And I think I had a little bit I of a chip that. on my shoulder and I really learned a valuable, you humbling You move from lesson. ego to spirit. That's yeah. what I talk about if, with oh, the creative process all the time. That's what happened then. Yes. Yeah. I, 
I moved out of my ego a little bit, yeah. you know. You move into the higher consciousness. I think as we get older, it's interesting. I read this book called The New Human, mm -hmm. and it's how we're evolving into this higher consciousness, how like we were born with this extra set of DNA that has not really been utilized. And, mm. and as time is going on, how many of us are becoming more intuitive and moving into you know, a, a higher consciousness. Mm. And, and it is, it, it's, I think it's really just the life process. I mean, when you read anything of like Joseph Campbell's mm -hmm. and you really dive into the depth of what he explores with story and with life and how he evolved and mm -hmm. and it is kind of a fascinating thing. Cause yeah. I think when we're in our twenties and thirties, the ego is such a big thing and the yeah. entitlement and the totally. and then you know totally. and, and being humbled is like a gift yeah. even though i don't think we see it when it happens no it was awful yeah it was it was painful i went through one of those oh, <laughs> mine was after 15 years with the same company <laughs> oh no oh gosh yeah, yeah it's yeah. you know i was 1994 right to now, so however many years that is, I thought I'm pretty set, you know. And, and you have a daughter, so yeah. That that gave you a chance to really be a hands-on dad. Oh, totally. It was it was great. I will look back and say, you know what, you got two years with your daughter, and right. you should really be appreciative of that time you had with her. But and at the time, I did tell myself that, but I was right. really filled with um, fear and worry because I had this thing I've read about called like provider's instinct or something, right. where suddenly I'm like. I have a young one. I must protect the cave and bring home the meat. Right, um, right, so, right. So that was there. It was like I had really been triggered into, I've got to go get a job. i got to make sure we have enough money to survive. I can send her to school. And do you know how much private preschool is? My God. So Crazy. I'm like, we're not sending. That's silly. Of course we did. Right, uh, right. So it was a great humbling experience. Yeah. But at the time, I remember I was going up for a job at Warner Brothers and I was almost having like a breakdown. Like, I just want a job. I was right. sitting on this bench. Right. Like, I don't want this job, but I'll take anything, you know? Yeah. So and it then was it tough. happens. Yeah. And then I mean, I think when the focus is really <clears throat> there, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I do believe in the secret and the idea of if you can really manifest what you want through vision, through mm -hmm. the idea of can I, see, if you can see it, you can make it happen. Yeah. And really taking all the steps and doing the work with a clear goal in mind. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I read Andre Agassi's book and that was very inspiring. Really? He would, Good to know. Yeah, he would r make a list of goals. And right. I, it sounds simple and silly. Right. And I started doing it and I'm like, write a chapter every day. You know, write that spec. Right. And and if you do it every day, it's staring you in the face yeah. and it really helps. So the in, envisioning it will make it happen. I mean, yeah. that's what Mark Bowden said. I said, I said something like, the universe made it happen. He said, no, it happened because you made it happen. Like right. very stern. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you have both. I know. There, there uh, are the spiritual minded that are like, yeah. okay. I'm but like, but I live in California an now. Behind it. And yeah. they're like, and the logical minded, no, yeah. it was you. Yeah. You sat down and you typed for <laughs> yep. months. You yep. Know? It is. So I did have a bit of a, I think I had a bit of a breakthrough. Like in January okay. or February, I thought, all right, I give up, you know, right. I don't know anything. I'm willing right. to start over and reinvent yeah. myself. And then I wrote that spec. There's so and much sold beauty it. in that, though. 
That is yeah. that that is great. I love that. And now you look at what has happened. You sold a spec a couple months ago to Columbia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was and what's going on with that? What oh, what I'm, is that I'm about? Like, I have to rewrite it right now. They what? want it in a hurry. They want to make it. It's great. And it's of course a, you happen to sell a TV show along the right same Right in the same time. Yes. Nothing happens for three years and then yeah. suddenly they both want me to work on those things at the wow. same time. So I'm very fortunate. Um That's great. But that one is about I was very interested in the drug violence in Mexico, the cartel mm-hmm. violence, and I yeah. thought, what would happen if it spilled over into the United States in a huge kind of 9-11 way? Right. What would America's reaction be? How would we respond? Would we go to war with a cartel? And I had a meeting at Neil Moritz's company um, with his executive, Ori Marmer, and he said, that's great. What if you did this, this, and this? And this never happens at any of these meetings. And right. I, and I, it suddenly clicked into place. I'm like, oh, my God, that's it. I'm going to write that. Great. So I did that's everything I was supposed to do. a strong executive, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. He was like, yeah, go write it. So, yeah. So we wrote it and developed it for the last, you know, six months really intensely. Like, I haven't worked that hard since Black Hawk Down. That's great. And it was my new attitude. I'm like, right. going to keep working. Going to yeah. keep writing. Oh, it's 9 o'clock at night? Who gives a crap? You know, keep right. typing. You freak. Right, right. So it paid off, you know. Oh, I love that. See, that is a great story because like how how Stephen said in his interview, he was not paid as Mm -hmm. a writer for 17 years after he graduated from Duke. Oh, my God. You know, mind-blowing. Wow. And then what does he do? He goes on to sell, what, 10 novels? Amazingly successful. Countless features and, you know. These giant scope things like... Gates of Fire and yes. Ring of Hell and things I, like that with swords and guys yep. in you know armor. Yes, it's so true. It's so true. And he's such a lovely man. Yeah, he, he sounded great. So I want to be his friend. Yes, yes. Yeah. You should write him. I will connect you <laughs> <All right>. to. <laughs> All right. So jumping into the company. Um, yeah. Tell me, so how did that come to be, and what was that like, going from the feature in the novel world Mm -hmm. into the miniseries world? Well, I backed into the miniseries Mm -hmm. world because that was going to be a feature directed by Ridley Scott. Okay. I had written this script that was 214 pages long for uh, John Kelly, who used to run Sony. Right. And the book, The Company, is 900 pages long. It's... And everyone's like, it's unadaptable. And when I hear that, I'm like, well, give it to me, because I know how to adapt things, so... I adapted it as a feature, and it turned out to be 214 pages long, and I thought, I'll either get fired or they'll love it. Right. And the people at Columbia, Sony, loved it, and they said, right. oh, my God, we want to make this. And and then uh, John Kelly said, why don't you call Ridley because you have a personal relationship with him? I'm like, I don't really talk to him. So I had to call him up and say, hey, I wrote this script. Are you interested? And he's like, great, man, I'll read it. And then he called me a few days later, like, I want to do this next. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is a dream come true. I'll be the only writer that my ego's like, the only writer to have two Ridley Scott movies made. And I, and people are like, you know, this script is so good. Ken, you're, you're probably going to get nominated for an Academy Award. Right. And I was like, maybe I will, you know. <laughs> right. And then one day, um, the head of Columbia said, you know what, we're not going to make this movie because Robert De Niro's directing the CIA thing called The Good Shepherd, Eric Roth, which had been a script for like 14 years. They decided to make it at the same time. So John Kelly called me and said, hey, pal, I guess they're not going to make our movie. And I was just devastated. Oh, my God. So then Ridley called, I know it's a long story, but Ridley called a few months later and said, Ken, we've got to do this. We can do it in TV. 
it's just too good, mate. It's right. got to be done. And I'm like, okay, great. So, and um, he's made a name for himself. Yeah. Both of them had made a name for themselves. Yeah. TV so sad. Yeah, I know. Yeah. God, don't get me started. I know. Um, so anyway, TNT said Michael Wright at TNT had loved this book for years, and he he jumped at the chance to like turn it into a, what they call a limited series. They don't right. even call it a mini series anymore. I'm not supposed to say that. And they said do you have any more extra pages to make it like a six hour thing? I said, I have 200 extra pages that I cut out oh of the 214 God. page script. So right. it was kind of easy right? to go from there and just winnow it down and learn about act structure. So did you write like every episode? You write yeah, every I wrote the whole thing. Oh my yeah. gosh, that's fantastic. Yeah, and it was, it was a long right, process. Well, you've been trained yeah. for the TV series I guess process. So. I but the know. whole pitching thing it yeah. was a new thing that with Sheldon and Jennifer Klein, my yeah, producer on this one. Yeah, let's talk about that. So that what, was, so the pitch for ABC, Tell mm-hmm. take me into that. Well, um, it it's a very vague description in Deadline Hollywood, but basically it's about a Jack Bauer character who goes into like the biggest mall in America on Black Friday and terrorists take over. So not the most original idea. Right. But I had written this short story years ago where this psycho goes into a mall and shoots a bunch of people. And we were talking about that for a long time. And Sheldon said you know, this could be a TV show, and I didn't really get it. And then he explained it to me. He's like, look, you, you, everyone knows the mall's going to be taken over when they tune in, so you just parse out the characters, and you, you go into the characters more than you would in a feature. And I really, it took me a while to get it. Anyway, Sheldon... So it's, it's along the line of, like, the killing, where you have one incident that we kind were, of takes the, yes, the first season. I was watching the killing okay. as I was working on these documents that we were doing then... We didn't actually give the documents to the ABC people, but we used them right. because it was such a complex story to tell. Right. I have pitchophobia, right. which could be interesting to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And I'm working Let's on it. Talk about yeah, I'm that. working on it. But Sheldon, one of the things about Sheldon is is he's a great pitcher, and he's right. like, "I'll do the pitching." And I said, "Okay, great." So I didn't sit there like a mute, but right. it was pretty close to being a mute. Right. And they had been warned, the ABC people, like, Ken hates pitching. Sheldon's going to talk. Right. And it was not a problem. They're like, okay, whatever. You yeah. Know? Um, so Sheldon, you know, we worked with the ABC studios on a bunch of different versions of the pitch. And then right. we finally go in to pitch to the TV people, the network execs. And they were very stoic. And I, we had gone in this, the same way a year before, and they were so happy and smiley. Right. And they said, we'll let you know. And they didn't buy that one. Right. And I'm like, ooh, they're stoic this time. They must love it. And they <laughs> wanted to make it. So anyway, I'm writing the pilot, you know. That is great. Um, knock wood. Okay, so now what is Sheldon's part in it? So- Sheldon is a producer. He okay. and Jennifer Klein have a deal at ABC. Okay. And I think one of the things about their deals they said we can bring in feature writers and bring you like great event television you know, right this friday you know i mean it's interesting <clears throat> and i don't want to i mean but event television in years past mm-hmm. has sometimes worked and sometimes not right so yeah. you know i do look at that and i go okay when you think of shows like i don't know flash forward mm-hmm. and jericho and you know, like the Armageddon type of feel, yet Revolution is apparently doing well right, right now, rating-wise. So, yeah. I mean, does Terra that Nova. does that scare you? It's Not really. As... I, I mean, 
I I'm in my new Zen way. You right. Know? Good. <laughs> you know, I like that. Like, you know, it's out of my control. You know, I'm just I gonna... mean, but then you look at Homeland. And yeah. Homeland I think That's is probably one of the best shows on TV. I I think Homeland, in my opinion, had the best first season of TV right. I have seen in my entire career. Right. Wow, that's yeah. saying a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because... So, uh, it's... I get really, like, you know, have you ever seen the pilot for Luther? Yes. Okay, that's, yeah. like, I think that's one of the best first hours uh, of TV I've I ever like, seen. I was like, this is so dark and grim, know. you know? Yeah. I usually love that stuff. Yes. I'll have to see it again, because I didn't oh, give it a... so good. Same thing with The Wire. It yes. took me a while to sort yeah. of warm up, and then I'm like, oh, this is genius. Now, when I think about your voice in Black Hawk Down, I see a chance for you to be like a major star in TV. Ooh, so thank I you. I do. Yeah. I'm sort of sitting up tall right now. Thanks a lot. That's nice. <laughs> I do. I do like oh. I look at, you know, I really look at character moments because for me as a viewer, those are the moments that draw me in. Like when mm -hmm. you look at the character of Luther and you look at the character on Homeland yeah. and it's like you dive into this like crazy complex emotional mm. flawed yet yeah. love the, mm. these characters you mm. know and I, I see you having the chops to do that oh thanks so, yeah. I hope so after all yeah. this time but thank you yeah yeah like another show I loved was Rome where yes, talking about Rome character too. flaws yeah. it was all about their flaws I really learned a lot watching yes. that like He's that's his flaw. Okay, they're writing about the flaws, and yes. Claire Danes is that's her character in Homeland. Is yeah. all her flaws come to a head yes. in this show? Yeah, and it goes to the furthest possible degree it can go yeah. for the character, for the story, for everything. Yes, I mean I don't want to give away. And what then happens. like, have you seen Boss on Stars? No, but yeah, I think Sheldon told me you got us. Yeah. You gotta see. K Dog, you gotta watch. Yeah. You gotta yeah. watch Boss. Gotta watch Boss. Boss is awesome, uh, too. I love it. All right. So now, okay. So talking <clears throat> about the TV mm -hmm. writing experience. So um, do you feel, have you ever written? Uh, so is the pilot written? No, or did I am you just do, I'm sell doing, the pitch? you know, you have to do a bunch of these documents and, right? and go through this whole process that is, you know, notes from the studio, notes from the network. Another right. document, notes, 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 right. notes. Right, Which is fine. I know that fine. I did that for 15 years. <clears throat> yeah, so <laughs> I guess it's a good process because you don't want to just turn something in you yeah. know, and have them go, oh, we didn't want this. this right. Is, so I don't mind Well, that that's the difference between selling the script and mm -hmm. selling the pitch. Yeah. You know, They so, want to be involved. Yeah, and I, I do think, I think there, I think that as much as, the writer who is still in his or her ego, that is a hard process. Mm -hmm. I think the writer who can remove themselves and recognize, okay, when you look at the TV writing world, this is a multi-million dollar business yeah. where they know what they want. Mm -hmm. So if you're working with them to <clears throat> give them what they want, mm -hmm. there's a higher chance of the show being successful. Yeah, you that's know? true. Like, yeah. It's a fine line because they're hiring me because they're like, Oh, this is the guy who wrote Black Hawk Down. We want that Black Hawk Down feeling. Whoa, not that much Black right, Hawk Down feeling. Right. So you have to be aware of like you do. what can get on the yes. air. It's yeah. a weird, you know, dynamic mindset that you have to get into where you want to be true to yourself. Yeah. But also be aware of what can get on television, you know. Well, you it's interesting. Like when I look at shows, I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, certain networks have 
gone. ABC has certainly pushed it with mm-hmm. when you look at Revenge and Scandal and you know some great shows. Where in, on CBS, I feel like The Good Wife and Person of Interest have definitely had episodes that you could tell, like that are caught between the network and the cable, mm-hmm. and, and like so good that you just go, okay. Network is getting edgier, yeah. and, you know, and, and that's good. That's great. Yeah. Because I don't know if I can yes. just write this yeah. standard show, you yeah. know. I, yeah, I, it is going to be harder for you, but mm-hmm. I do think you're at a good home with ABC. Like, mm, I great. I can definitely, oh, I, I know and love Rachel Ben David mm-hmm. over there. Yes, she's a phenomenal she's great. executive, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, so I definitely like I look at their stuff, and it's so well developed. Mm-hmm. So that's where I look at, it and I go, okay, if a show is going to work, it's or is or isn't going to work, it's not going to be because it wasn't developed well, right? You know, right? So it's just, and it and it's fascinating. <clears throat> like I had written a post on Facebook a couple days ago that was fascinating. Had like eighty people like it because. I said, you know, the thing we have to look at of pilots, and really the reason I did this, because I'm the writing instructor for Writers on the Verge at NBC, and we're right in the middle of the pilot writing process. Mm. And so I, I mean, I've probably developed over 375 pilots in the last five years with my company, and 14 of my people have sold pilots. So it's like you look at it and you just go, most pilots are not good. Mm -hmm. And so you just have to like take the pressure off for perfection because even I said 90% of the pilots that are sold are not good, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean the series can't be good. Right. And there are 10% of the pilots that are phenomenal Mm -hmm. that you just go. But when you look at every development year and you think, okay, maybe anywhere between two and five shows out of, a gazillion shows mm-hmm. will make it to be household names where you, you know, yeah, so it's, it's kind shot. of like you, it, it, it is a mm-hmm. long shot. But I mean, what was interesting for me this year was I thought if we think about the shows that are considered successes rating wise, they didn't have the strongest pilots. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't want to go into the names of those shows, but I have a feeling <laughs> if you watch TV, you have an understanding of what those shows are. Right. And then there were shows that had very strong pilots, but the series didn't go. Right. Because Middle America didn't latch on to the idea. Yeah. So it's almost like, you know, I think the, my whole purpose for the post was just to say, focus on the character. Focus on the truth. Focus on your truth. Focus on the truth of your character, and let everything else go. Mm-hmm. Because That's you, the advice. most important thing you want in a pilot is you want people who want to return to the characters and the world. Mm-hmm. I should come to your yeah. class. <laughs> my God. <laughs> well, no, know that I am here. <laughs> I am here, Ken. That's great. Yes, definitely. So, um, so I think I'm. I so I hope you know that going into the process too, it is, it's really trusting the process and trusting right. that your voice can still come alive mm-hmm. within the parameters. Yeah, I'm really you open know? to learning. Yeah. like, like t- I say to Sheldon and Jen, I don't know how this works, and right. You know, Jen says, we'll walk you through it. You know, yeah. you got to do this document by this date, right. this by this one. Then you're going to write the thing. Then this is going to happen. Yeah. I wouldn't have known any of that if yes. I didn't have someone explain it to and me. And deadlines. The difference is I remember yeah. when I was working at Spelling, um, we did uh, Rescue 77 and Gregory Wyden was writing TV for the first time and he had written Backdraft. Oh. And so 
he, you know, I remember having a conversation with him and I said, so what's it like going from the feature world to the TV world? And he's like, oh my God. He goes, Jen, in the feature world, like you wake up and you go, oh, maybe I'm going to go to Starbucks. Yeah. You go to Starbucks, you're at Starbucks <laughs> and you're like, oh, maybe I'm going to call my family and see if they want to go to Italy next week. Right. And he goes, in TV, it's like this crazy thing where they see there are these deadlines. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. And then hopefully it's just over quickly yeah. or, or it continues you know yes. but it's structured and i'm just willing to try it you know like let's, i think there's a gift it? in deadlines i yeah. honestly do the i think when you that. hold yourself accountable and i think it it, it does something to the creative process mm-hmm. where it it makes you have more confidence in your own ability mm-hmm. to get stuff out in a short amount of time yeah even you if know? you don't make it you yeah. know you've got you've gotten close or yes. you're like ah oh, i've just went a week over yeah yeah it's definitely have self-imposed deadlines yes. otherwise you'll never get anything done i agree oh, i agree yeah like oh if only i had the right desk or the right office yes. or oh you know excuses that's excuses. just nonsense yes. you know uh jk rowling wrote in a coffee shop yeah you know? She wrote Harry Potter in a coffee shop or, or whatever it was. And didn't, what's her name too? Um, the girl who wrote Juno. Oh, yeah. Diablo Cody? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she wrote it in like a Whole Foods or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, George like, Gallo wrote Midnight Run. Is that yeah. his name? At Jerry's Deli, I heard. Yeah, I love that. Counter. Like, I love It's just that. a bunch of, I used to say that, like, if only I had the right office. The chair, the yeah. desk, the monitor's wrong. Yeah. Maybe I'll get a typewriter and type on that, you know? <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, no, it's yeah. the story. Yeah, and it's... Uh, <laughs> the story has to... Have, I think the story has to be ready to come through you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really... Like, I think I think where ABC is going to be very fortunate with you is that you were just on a three-year hiatus, mm-hmm. which I think bro- probably brought so many incredible gems with it of your being attached to life again i hope so and now bringing it to the page i yeah. think is going to be of even more value oh that's great yeah that's definitely nice i do yeah. i think that's going to be great for you i, I do so. all right so we are going to i have a couple questions on your creative process and advice you have for other oh, writers great. before we close out mm-hmm. um let's see okay so when it comes to writing what helps you write such strong characters and dialogue? Oh, gosh. Uh, I usually don't think characters first or dialogue. I just think structure, story. Right. And then the characters just sort of evolve. And I I think that's my weakness as character. You know, I, I'm not... Oh, I the don't strongest think that. Incubator. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I definitely don't think that. And dialogue, yeah. it's not a big deal. Like, right. Um, I've just always been able to do it maybe because I've seen so many movies and I imitate and I also read a bunch of scripts and I just imitate like that's how long people speak in a script and it's not like real life. It's what we expect when we go into a movie a, a character is going to say. Right. It's not the same as a Woody Allen movie or John Cassavetes movie right. where they speak almost like real life or right. David Mamet which is stylized real life. You right. Know? right. So dialogue i wouldn't worry too much about dialogue worry more about story structure or character if that's where you come from yeah. you know that's not my strong suit but if that's your strong suit think of a great character and work from that and i think you know the fascinating thing about where i feel like people resist and is in structure emotion comes alive mm-hmm. and character comes alive right. and structure a lot of people will think is there to um, confine them 
instead of recognize that it's actually there to define mm-hmm. what could be in your story. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So um, it, it is. There's simple things that I forget. That like, right. like so simple that it, when I was writing the spec, I don't know who said it, but it was like, I usually ask myself, what does the character want? What's in his way? And I went, oh my God, I forgot that. You know, so like really (laughs) basic stuff, you know, that you can forget, you know, that's simple. Yeah. What's in the character's way. You'll get the dialogue and the tension and dramatic stuff out of putting them in a situation where they can't get what they want to achieve. Well, and it's true. It's like when you're looking at logic, if you think about things like in every act, you should see your central character take an action in pursuit of the goal, mm-hmm. hit an obstacle, and have a reminder of the stakes. Right. I would say, like, the biggest thing for me, I was on an Oscar-nominated uh, panel last year, mm. and the biggest mistake that I noticed, even by Oscar-level screenwriters, mm-hmm. was the failure of a strong external stakes arc. Mm-hmm. The failure of escalating the stakes in a way that the audience understood what was the worst that could happen if mm-hmm. the goal was not achieved. Yeah, that's you know? the hard thing to yeah, do. That's why is. movies are hard to come up with yeah. and, and hard to think of. Yeah. Is, you know, a shark, you know, terrorizes a coastal town. Uh, the waterphobic sheriff has to go out and kill it. Right. I mean, that's really hard to know. You know, it's, right. these are tough things to come they up are. with. So, they are. You know. and it, and it, it, but it's funny because when you think about it in simplistic sense, mm-hmm. like when I, when I had the eight outlines for writers on the verge turned in and, and it was fascinating to me because these are eight writers that were selected out of 1600 wow. submissions. And, and the fascinating thing is no matter how killer a writer can write a spec script and hit it out of the ballpark, the pilot script is a very difficult script mm-hmm. to write. And yet, if you just ask like two questions, mm-hmm. I found like through looking at these eight scripts next to one another, it was what just they? ask two questions. Mm-hmm. Ask what is the powerful dilemma that begins my story right? and what is the external goal in the a story that stems from that powerful dilemma gotcha so if you ask yourself those two mm -hmm. questions the framework then every act out is an obstacle escalating obstacle Mm -hmm. all is lost moment that connects back to the goal and so when you're getting to the resolution it's like you're circling back to the starting dilemma Mm -hmm. right right so homeland she hears from that guy in the beginning there's an american a prisoner of war who was turned, you know, into a terrorist. Like that's the stakes. Yes. It's like in the first ten minutes, yeah, or five minutes. And then the 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 series art question: Goes from Did there. he or did he not yeah. turn? Yeah, so it's Brilliant. set up right away. And yeah. I do read these pilot scripts yeah. where they don't do those simple things. Yes, and I'm bored. Yes, you know? yeah. I'm like, I'm not gonna watch this. Yeah. And that's the thing about pilots, because there are so many TV shows on that the reason why in this climate you could have brilliant writers and a brilliant staff, but it also takes a strong marketing team. Mm -hmm. It takes being put on the right night and the right time. And even though, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got DVRs, so many things have to go and play for a show to work. That's true. You know, because people are busy. and, And when you have... You know, for me to add something to my six shows that I already watch, it's mm-hmm. got to be phenomenal. Yeah. You know, it has to be mind blowing right. for me to have like appointment TV to be able <laughs> yeah. to watch something. Yeah. You know, I mean, and then these shows like The Mentalist are these huge hits where I watched 
half a season, I'm like, this is totally enjoyable. I enjoy this character. Right. I'm not going to continue coming back. Right. But, but I can you see know how when people you tune would, in, you know? you're going to find joy yeah. in being able to watch. Parenthood yeah. is a great example. Yeah. You know when you want to cry, you want to go watch a Jason Kadams episode because right. he's amazing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Parenthood's amazing. Really? I yeah, when you know it. you want to cry like oh. Friday Night Lights yeah. in, in oh, Parenthood, God. oh, my God. You yep. know it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, all right. Okay, last question. So lastly, what are some of the gold nuggets you have for writers out there pursuing a career in TV and feature writing. Okay, that's hard. Um, I would read as many scripts as one could or you could. Mm -hmm. um, I read interviews with other writers and listen to the writing process. Uh, Stephen King's On Writing is a great book. It'll, it is. It'll show you what a process is like. Right. And it's very scientific. Yeah. You know what? You have to sit down every day and write 1,500 words. If you do that, you'll have a book done, you know? Yeah. Or a screenplay. So yeah. I read this quote by Brian Helgeland years ago. He said, I'm not a big fan of waiting for the muse to arrive. You have to sit down like a banker every day and just putter around and work, you know, coal mine. And I thought, I, I am going to wait for the muse to arrive. Who? Kn Brian Helgeland doesn't know what he's talking about, but he was right. Right. It, so that's a little nugget is sit down every day and do your work because yeah. a lot of people don't They're like yeah. oh if i only had the country estate i could write my script you know oh i can't um, tell you how many times people will say if i only could take three months off yeah you're not then gonna I there's too much this. pressure yeah if i went to a writer's colony yeah. yeah um so read as many scripts see as many movies read books i i really learned from reading stephen king that he said you read books in like long drinks and small sips. So I listen to audible.com. Right. All these all these different interests that I have no interest in could spring other ideas, you know. Right. Ancient Rome. Don't know anything about it. Here's an audible.com book about it. Great. Um, so I love that go. advice. Yeah. That's great advice. Uh, eclectic. Be eclectic and always be curious. I, really I love sound that. like a blowhard now, but that's always that's what I Always be curious. Yeah. That's excellent. If you think you've figured it all out, then you're you're not gonna have a career. Yeah. But if you have this beginner's mind of, oh, I don't know anything. Let me try this. Yes. You know, um, then you'll probably be successful. I could not agree with you more. There you go. Wow. <laughs> I want to thank you. This has been spectacular. Oh, thank been you. Great. I love talking like this. You got it. It is my <laughs> pleasure, and I love talking with people. Like you that have the background that you do that has so much value for my listeners out there. So. I don't know how it happened. I was just a young man a minute ago. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. That's so cute. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so let's see. Upcoming events with Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc. In 2013, uh, we are going to be in London with the TV Writers Summit. I am going to be. Uh, in London with the TV Writers Summit. It is the weekend of January 26th and January 27th. You can find out more information on my website under events and seminars or at tvsummit.com, tvwriterssummit.com. And then in February, I am going to Australia, Melbourne, and Sydney Great. for the TV Writers um, Studio Conference. I, Sorry. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so it's the TV Writers uh, Studio Conference. And very, I'm very, very excited about that. I'm going to be doing that with Alan Sandler and Carol Kirshner and Stephen Kaplan. 
Uh, and then I have my 10-week TV spec and pilot teleseminar that begins Tuesday, March 12th. That is everything that I teach in Writers on the Verge at NBC. And you can sign up for that on my website, which is www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And we are out with Ken Nolan. And this is Jen Grisanti of StoryWise Podcasts. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.